story is simple enough, but to put it, I mean, this movie was made in 1982, but to put it in more modern 2020 terms, uh, The Last American Virgin is the story of an incel simping for and getting cucked by a literal Karen. (laughs) The Epic Film Guys Podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. One might say, one might say, the greatest episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast ever recorded because Justin's not here. He said that he sucked the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth. So, uh, I, of course, am Nick, and uh, we are thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be joined, as always, lately, anyway by the one, ladies and gentlemen, the only Agata Podcasting. Oh! Thank you for that lovely introduction, Nick. How are you, darling? I am absolutely wonderful. Uh, Justin's not here, so... Thank God. Yeah, I know. We're just going to be just round-robin insults, just throwing him his way. Absolutely, absolutely. All. Did he not show up because he didn't want to watch Artemis Fowl or The Last American Virgin? Is that... Uh, I think he's he's bumming it out on the beach, and uh, you know what? I as as much as we are going to make fun of Justin this episode because <laughs> it's gonna happen, um, we're finally even. You know, I I took a Canon quarantine episode off. Uh, that was our Cobra review, which you and uh, Justin valiantly carried on your shoulders in my absence. So now we're even, Justin, because you're <laughs> laying on the beach and I'm having to review The Last American Virgin. So we're, we're even now. Holy dear Lord in heaven. But before we get there, ladies and gentlemen, Canon Quarantine, we're shoving it over into the back half of the show. We've got a couple of reviews for you, as we already mentioned, Artemis Fowl and Spike Lee's latest in The Five Bloods. And I, since I don't have streaming services... <laughs> Uh, I couldn't watch any of any any of the movies, so we reached out. We threw a, a lifeline out there into the world of the internet to pull in a guest host, and we're thrilled to welcome a first-time guest to the show. Uh, absolutely pleased to welcome Paige Joy of Elm Street Radio. Paige, how are you? I am so good. I feel so like happy to be here. Thank you guys so much. I hope you guys are doing well and. I, I can't believe you guys made me watch this movie. That's all I'll say so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my, my. So before, I'm so sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry. You're forgiven. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of apologies for a lot of things in this episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but, um, yeah, before we, go, before we go any further, since you are a first-time guest on the show, you're not, you know, like Gerald, who's been in here a million times or, or, or whatever. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what Elm Street Radio is all about. And I mean, you're also you're involved in a lot of different things. So uh, tell us kind of what you're all about. So Elm Street Radio um, is a podcast that is uh, co-hosted by DeAndre Laser and myself. And it basically just delves into the Nightmare on Elm Street topic. And when we first started, it, it was funny because people were like, how much stuff can you really talk about about Elm Street? And we're like, sit down, pull up a chair because we're about to tell you. And so it's been a really great um, experience. We've been doing it for a few years now. We've had a lot of people from Elm Street themselves be on the show. We, we delve into the backstory of the scripts and 
fan theories and we just started recently a, a fan film series where we are dissecting the fan films, the popular Nightmare on Elm Street fan films. And so that's really what we've been doing. That's our thing with Elm Street. But I am also the director of Fred Head's The Documentary, which talks about the fandom of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And re- <laughs> that is that the highest the honor we can bestow. <laughs> that was the polite smattering of applause uh, sound drop there for you. I love it. I love it. Thanks for that. But but yeah, so we've been we've been traveling for three years filming this documentary. And so my life has just been nonstop Elm Street. And I've been excited to experiment into different films. Not not this film that, that Brian is having us watch and talk about, but <laughs> but other types of films I've been watching and I've been I've been having fun listening to your guys' show and all that good stuff. Well, thank you, Paige. And um, I personally, speaking as a, a fan of the Elm Street franchise and um, someone who loves horror and the horror fan community, especially, you like horror I can't w- I can't wait for Fredheads. Um, I actually we had this connection because we actually did a screening of A Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master, uh, an anniversary screening at the Alamo Draft House. I guess a, a couple years ago now, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we did like a teaser reveal uh, for Fred Heads, the documentary for a theater full of Elm Street fans, and that was very special. Um, and ever since, I've just I've been waiting, um, you know, excitedly for this documentary. I can't wait to see it, and I wish you, you know, every um, success with it when it does finally come out. Well, thank you. We're um, we're almost done. Everybody has been messaging us lately, and we're like, we're we're sixty percent done. We're 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 almost done. It takes a lot to edit. And- yeah, listen. I mean, considering like the amount of footage you all probably have, and forming it into a story, like it takes time. It takes time. So, yeah, take your time. I'll It'll be, be worth it in the end. It'll be <laughs> worth it. It'll be worth it in the end. Well, we're excited for you guys to see it, and thank you guys for everything you've done for us too. So, we're thrilled to have you here. I'm going to get out of everybody's hair in, in, in just a couple of moments. Cause again, I did not see the, the two films that you both are going to be reviewing here on the show today, but ladies and gentlemen, before uh, I run away, uh, I did just want to announce here at the top of the show that Justin sucks. Daddy's going to spank you with the belt now. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what I wanted to announce. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So as, as some people probably know, some people probably don't, I am going to be turning 40 next month. Um, so as, as part of my 40th birthday celebration, as it were, I just did air quotes for you, audio audience, as part of that, hear those audience, (laughs) it's, uh, back in January, uh, and every year for the past couple of years, we've done a little thing called the EFG fitness challenge and the efg fitness challenge is going to be coming back this july uh it's going to basically be a mileage challenge so it's either run miles run or miles walked uh we're going to do i'm going to try to put together at least a a pseudo virtual race uh for everybody to to just kind of you know race and and keep fit fitness is something that's obviously very important to us here on the epic film guys podcast i think i think justin works out once in a while i, th- I think every once in a while no. He, yeah no 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 no, no. 
I can't wait when I can't wait till he's live on the show eating a fucking Big Mac. I'm going to record that and it's going to be plastered <laughs> all over every every social every day. I'm going to share that on social media for weeks. Justin texted me. And he said I had pizza and I stayed up until two in the morning with a bottle of Tums. <laughs> he's like, I regretted it. So this poor guy hasn't had junk food in forever. He has such discipline that the one time he's able to indulge, he, <laughs> he immediately regrets it. Poor guy. No, no, you're not allowed to feel sorry for Justin. So uh, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, over to the Homesters Dumpster, of course, our fan group over on Facebook.com slash groups slash Epic Film Guys. And all the information about uh, the challenge is going to be coming there probably by the time you hear this episode. All the information will have already made its way over there. But I thought about it. It's, you know, I did uh, obviously 100 miles leading up to the live stream for The Cure, which, ladies and gentlemen, prizes are all set. They're sitting over here. I'm pointing off screen to the audio audience. They're over here. Can you see them? Yes, but all the prizes are all prepared uh, and everything to go out to the winners. Hopefully, I will get those shipped out within the next week or two. I've got to get thank you cards out to podcast partners. Once again, I know we said it last week as well, but I mean, once again, just we'll have a final tally actually next week because I did just get the money from Redbubble today. So I have to calculate exactly how many sales there were and exactly how much we have to cover on that end. Uh, so we're going to have an exact final tally. And we're also going to be featured in the uh, the newsletter for the fall, I believe, for the Cancer Research Institute. Uh, Sierra from CRI reached out to me today uh, to congratulate us on the event and everything. Just almost $16,000. I still can't believe it. It still feels not real to me somehow, but it very, very much is. And, and again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it this week because we talked about it last week, but thank you eternally for all of the amazing support for the donations, all of our podcast partners who put in so much hard work. Dan, Gerald was here too. <laughs> Gerald did his very best. Gerald, Gerald, you were amazing as well. Thank just, I mean, I mean, literally it, it goes beyond words, you know, the amount of gratitude that I have for, for everything that, that everybody did, but uh, I will seed the floor to the sauce um page welcome again to the epic film guys sadly you won't get to talk to me very much more oh i'm so sorry yeah i'm gonna maybe maybe some other time yeah maybe you can actually we'll both probably enjoy yeah not i mean well the canon series is the canon series has been a grab bag it's been a weird toss-up it's <laughs> You get we get films like Death Wish three, which of course, as we all know, is the greatest action masterpiece of all time. Uh, Ninja it's three: true. The Domination, also the greatest movie of all. We've 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 covered a lot of greatest movies of all time in this series, but then we <laughs> also watch movies like King Solomon's Mines. Mm. <laughs> it's a wildly uneven. Uh, it is. It's a pendulum, of- and that pendulum only swings to the very extremes. Uh, Which is exciting. You never know what you're going to get. It is, it is very, very true. But, uh, but we will put all the information for uh, Elm Street Radio, for the Fred Heads documentary, everything like that, down in the show notes. Of course, we'll have her talk about it a little bit later before we check out on the show. Uh, but thank you so much, Paige, for being here. And Loy Sauce, I will just move away. He said that he sucked. No, the Justin, you too. Get out of here. Put the balls in his mouth. Get out of here, Justin. Nick, goodbye.
welcome back ladies and gentlemen thank you so 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 much for sticking around for another episode of the epic film guys podcast we love you and we are so so thrilled you're here if you like what you're hearing if you love us please head over to apple Podcasts and please throw us a beautiful wonderful amazing five-star review and ladies and gentlemen if you do we will sick justin on you Daddy's going to spank you with the Something. belt now. I just wanted to play a Justin sound drop. I feel like he was missing hearing his own voice if he's listening to this. And he probably wanted to hear it. Thank you to Paige. Thank you so, so much to Paige. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you guys are going to hear her again on the Monday episode. Artemis Fowl, the the new movie, Disney movie that they released on their Disney Plus streaming platform. They uh, also did a review of that herself in the God of Podcasting here, our very own Moya Sauce. So catch that during the Monday episode. Thank you so, so much, Paige, for being here. She was wonderful. She was absolutely wonderful. I wish I'd gotten to talk to her more, but I, I'm a poor boy. Nobody loves me. He's just a poor boy from a poor family space. No, okay. No, I just she, reminded she's a delight. Of Rhapsody. No, Paige is a delight and uh, we're very happy to have her so Absolutely. thank you Paige but uh, she didn't have to watch the next movie we're going to be talking about so ladies and Canon gentlemen quarantine yeah how you going that Ah, the dulcet tones of the Canon logo. What? We didn't get the dulcet tones of the Canon logo in this film. No, no, they didn't. I mean, this is 1982, so I would guess this predated the uh, the creation of that Canon production title that would accompany most of the films in the in the mid to later 80s. But Loisos. So as we we've talked about this numerous times, when it comes to the hashtag Canon Quarantine series where it's a wildly swinging pendulum and it only ever seems to land at one or other extreme. Either we get something that is literally a masterclass in cinema, like Ninja 3 The Domination, or like Death Wish 3, or we get a King Solomon's Minds. So with that in mind, there is a lot to unpack. There is so much to go over. But if you could please lead us off, what is the last American Virgin? all about nick do you think the movie would be much improved if it were called the last american virgin three maybe it's just canon movies with a three in the title that reach cinematic nirvana possibly did this get any sequels <laughs> no yeah you know why uh, i feel so- like they showed all of the tits that a, a, a film could possibly show in a 90 minute <laughs> type in this movie there was no way to top it no way. Unless they started showing... Like, this is one of those things, and I want to talk about before before we even get into the movie. This is one of those things where, like, I'm, I'm glad when we get to see in movies... I'm all, for, I'm all for nudity. I'm all for naked females. I like naked ladies. But can, can we please hang some rope? There's a hilarious, and I mean an absolutely amazing scene in a boy's locker room in this movie, which we'll, which we'll talk about, which is a perfect opportunity to hang some goddamn rope just give us give us nude equality in movies. That's all we want. Let's you know, just it doesn't have to be shameful. It doesn't have to be exploitative. It doesn't have to just randomly chuck a shot of tits into the movie every five minutes because we haven't seen tits in five minutes. I mean, this is 
in 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 terms of and Justin I know is very very well versed in these raunchy 80s sex comedies of which this was a very early forebear. Uh we talked I think before recording about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, how, you know, that came out the same year and that was very much in the same vein. But this became way before a lot of your other, you know, standards and staples in the genre in the 80s, like your Porky's, like your Revenge of the Nerds and things like that. Though you will see, you know, the baseline of the formula that was later streamlined and perfected down the road, down in the 80s, and then, of course, into the 90s with films like American Beauty. But just, it's got a lot of needless tits in it so if you are someone who wants or needs needless tits in your life i get sure well nick this was before uh, pornography was readily available on the internet so uh for for young boys to go out and sneak into the movie theater and watch uh watch the last american virgin and see some see some boob this is the best they're going to get. It's true. It's so very, very true. I, I, I mean, you say ne- you say needless nudity. I think that this movie was crafted for a specific purpose, <laughs> <laughs> and that specific purpose was achieved. <laughs> oh, the seats in the theater. So were the gross. I'm glad we just left that hanging out there. Nobody, just yep, just leave it right there. Justin, if Justin were here, he would have jumped all over that. He would have licked it up. Mm. <laughs> thank, thank you for anyway, the tongue noises you're welcome so the genesis of this film uh, came from a 1978 Israeli film called Lemon Popsicle uh, which was written and directed by Boaz Davidson because they were encouraged by Lemon Popsicle's enormous success at the box office which inspired a series of sequels so Lemon Popsicle had a series of like eight or nine sequels and the last American Virgin had zero, but golden and globus of the illustrious Canon group. Are you going to try to do the impression? We have been highlighting all, (laughs) all quarantine long, their film library one by one. Uh, But they approached Davidson to retool his own film for American audiences and thus, The Last American Virgin was born, uh, whereas Lemon, uh, Lemon Popsicle was set in the 50s, uh, they shifted the setting to uh, 1980s Los Angeles. So as Nick put it, The Last American Virgin was actually one of the earliest examples of the American teen sex comedy. Um, during the 80s, there was an outbreak, a scourge, if you will, of, of raunchy boner comedies essentially. Um, you know, you got your Zapped, Private Resort, Hard Bodies, Revenge of the Nerds, Porkies, Screwballs. So these things were, were a dime a dozen, really just low grade excuses to show some titty. There are a few entries in this subgenre that managed to transcend its juvenile trappings and offer something beyond lame slapstick and and cheap titillation um where does the last american virgin fall on the spectrum we'll find out the story is simple enough but to put it i mean this movie was made in 1982 but to put it in more modern 2020 terms uh the last american virgin is the story of an incel simping for and getting cucked by a literal karen (laughs) thank you 
You're welcome. Um, so it centers around uh, you know your stere- stereotypical trio of high school guys. You have Gary, uh, played by Lawrence Modison, who you know Ted from Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the final chapter. And if Justin were here, which he's not because he's laying on a beach somewhere, he and I would be bantering back and forth the dialogue between Crispin Glover and Lawrence Monison from Friday the 13th part four. You're a dead fuck. The computer says you're a dead fuck. Anyway. He said that he so sucked all- the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth. I thought you said he wasn't here. Justin. Lied to me. He came back early from your vacation. Um, but thank you for that soundboard drop. We all, we all, um, as much as we you don't want to admit it, shit. we all kind of miss Justin and his uh, his shenanigans. But hey, Gary is kind of like the classic hero who, you know, he's a little bit of a screw up. He's a little nervous, but he has a good heart. Then you have Rick, played by Steve Anton, uh, who went on to write the scripts for Burlesque with Cher and Proud Mary which I gave a proper shellacking once upon a time on the Epic Film Guys podcast. So unfortunately, uh, his screenwriting career did not uh, bring him much critical success. But anyhow, Rick is like the total chick magnet. He instantly gets it on with the ladies, no matter what the circumstance. And then you have David, played by Joe Rubbo, who's the fat one. It's, it's, it's really, there's, there's no other real way to, he's the fat one. <laughs> it's just it, he has know, no real character besides he has absolutely no character except for he's just like number one he's always taking his clothes off so it seems like we see him in various states of undress a lot in the film and it's just kind of a running gag that he's just this kind of just schlubby schlubby kind of yeah it's it's you know he always has a he always has a shirt off so um y- yes um not much depth to these characters certainly uh but they do you know they do normal guy things like having dick size competitions in the school locker room which was what see there was i i I rode a an absolute tidal wave of emotion as i was watching this this film loisos because there are a number of really great and kind of funny and if if you think about the teen sex comedy one of the kind of hallmarks of this genre of film is these ridiculous circumstances that the protagonists will get themselves into. And then you kind of are just like laughing at how inept they are and laughing and and trying to kind of determine how are they going to get out of this? It's been done time and time and time again, again, all through the eighties, even into the nineties, the American pie movies. It's just, it's, it's scripture in this kind of a movie. So you have, great scenes in this movie like all of a sudden for whatever reason uh the character of victor who is just kind of a running gag of a character in the movie he's the very very cliched kind of nerd he has a mouth guard he has glasses with one part of them taped up because they're broken and everything like he's very very quintessentially the nerd character in the film is talking about how big his penis is in the locker room as boys are wont to do and then they all decide that they're going to measure their dicks literally and the winners are all gonna individually get hard yeah that's fucking 
Yes. You want to know the best part about it for me is the very, very obvious. These are not penises in the underwear as they're standing in line because they're very deliberately doing crotch shots of whatever these things are, whatever kind of device or whatever they stuck in their underwear to make it look like they're they're in no way penises. Nobody has penises that are shaped like this or anything. And if they do get medical attention, please. It's like there are a number of scenes like they should not be that swollen. No. And like they're all like standing in line and like it's it's just like they're all measuring them and they're all like I said, it's it's a literal dick measuring contest in 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 the not only not only do they decide to measure each other's dicks for no reason, but they also make it a contest so that whoever has the biggest penis wins a whole bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> what is that scenario? Like they all chip in a they all chip into a pool and whoever has the biggest penis wins the pool. First of all, who would ever <laughs> who would ever willingly put money into that and subject themselves to potential humiliation? But also, they're paying someone for having a bigger penis than them. So the whole yeah. scenario is completely bizarre, but it, it is humorous because the setup is so like random and stupid. It's so um, ridiculous. And it's so far outside of the left field of like a thing that would normally happen in a high school locker room. Like <laughs> right. there is no way that like three quarters of the just like teenage angst and and dripping with 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 fear and hormones and all this different stuff that everybody is just going to chub up and drop trow in order to compare dicks it's never going to fucking happen and then let a classmate like hold up a tape measurer to their penis like oh my god in no universe would this happen so um like most of these movies i mean the film is merely a, a a series of vignettes Pretty that much. kind of fo- follows their exploits as they haplessly stumble from one misadventure t- to get laid to the next. Um, until it isn't, but we'll get to that. The film opens with with Gary, uh, who works at a pink pizza parlor, which I don't know why it's themed pink, but who knows. Um, but the exterior of the pizza parlor just a bit of trivia. The exterior can be seen very briefly in Death Wish 2. So when next time you're watching Ooh. Death Wish 2, be on the lookout for it's not called Pink Pizza Parlor, but you can tell from the exterior of the building that it's the pizza parlor from The Last American Virgin. And that is information that appeals to a very <laughs> narrow audience. To the People- Justins of the world. <laughs> People who are interested in canon movies, which I hope you would be if you're listening to this episode. But um, so Gary begs his boss to borrow the delivery car for his own personal use, which also seems like something from an alternate reality where you could not cajole your boss to let you use the car for your own use. It's not the last time he'll cajole him. (laughs) Um, Personally, I mean, if I had access to this car, I would absolutely drive it around town without hesitation (laughs) it's a very bright pink like pepto-bismol color car with a pizza chef mascot a very large pizza chef like statue on the roof um very charming so i called all the nudity not all of it but i called some of the nudity in this film needless uh earlier in the film or earlier in the review but Ladies and gentlemen, if you're driving a Pepto pink station wagon 
with a pizza mascot on the top, I mean, Panty's going to drop. I mean, that's, that's I mean, that's going to get you some poon. What else did I expect in a, in a movie with a car like this, other than just panties to fly off and tops to be unsheathed? So the pizza parlor is also the hangout spot for these uh, three gentlemen, these three rapscallions. And uh, one night when they're hanging out in the pizza parlor, they spy with their little eyes three, oh, how do I put it without sounding like a jackass homely young ladies well yes um gary very he very politely points out that i'd rather screw godzilla than them so i think that's meant to convey that they're not supposed to be very attractive you have two of the girls who are actually you know very pretty and then you have one of the girls who's made up to look very homely yeah so they coerce them they convince them to come to Gary's parents' place while they're away. To and a from there, party. A quote party, yes. So or it's some under drugs. So it's under the pretense of of luring young women into a you know a, a situation where um they can they can score. And already kind of things uh go awry just right from the start. Um because it has that kind of typical teen sex comedy way of like contriving situations in order for um, boobs to be shown and hijinks to ensue. Uh, but for what it is, I think that scene where they're at Gary's parents' house is actually pretty funny for the most part because, um, Nick, I want you to talk a little bit more about it, but they go there. Um, they're not convinced until they hear that drugs are going to be involved. So when they get there, they don't have drugs. What are they going to do? The opening of this movie is amazing. And that's when I when I started watching this movie, I was like, if this is the whole movie, we are in for such a treat. Now, <laughs> I will say it from the get-go, nobody in this movie can act. Not one iota. Now I don't agree with let me, that. Let me tell you why nobody in this movie can act, because they spent Whatever the budget for this movie was, whatever it was, they spent 99.9% of it on the soundtrack for this movie, which features every single huge hit at the time. Like, literally, this is like a best of album of the early 80s in like pop and rock songs. Like, you get Journey in here, Whip It is in here, like all the, the police, like all sorts of really, really, and especially this is a canon movie. Like I'm so used to canon movies slumming it and going for the cheapest thing possible to hear all these massive hits. I'm like, I posted on Facebook when I was watching this movie, I was like, how much did they spend on the soundtrack for this? Like how much money did they spend on the rights for all of these massive hit songs to be in this movie? It's insane. It's so insane. In fact, that there are portions of the movie wherein the dialogue is completely drowned out by how loud they're playing the music. Like they don't even care. And they repeat some of the songs, most of them, I think, in fact, at least once or twice in the movie, you get to hear the same songs again because they're like, I can imagine if Justin was here doing the voices, he'd, he'd do the voices better. But I can imagine them saying in the production room, no, we paid for the rights to these songs. We're going to use them as many times as we possibly can. <laughs> we have these songs. Damn it. We're going to use them. There's literally like 
two minutes of screen time in the entire runtime of this fucking movie that is not had like backed by and featuring a blaring 80s pop hit it doesn't happen it doesn't fucking exist or power ballad or rock song or whatever whatever the case may be that notwithstanding the opening of this movie is amazing because as lois said the guys contrive this situation where they they promise the girls drugs to bring them back to this party because the girls are looking to party wink wink they want to get some the the girls are the ones that immediately are like you got any coke like <laughs> jesus christ so you know the girls are like okay we'll go to the party but you better keep your hands off literally four seconds after they get to the party rick is dancing with one of the girls and grabbing her ass and she is like all over him it's like that lasted so quickly but but the girls are upset because they were promised drugs, Lois, so they go into the kitchen and they get fucking sweet and low and they put, they get a little vanity mirror and they line up lines of sweet and low on this mirror and they pass it around to all of the girls. All of the girls take a hit, especially the one, you know, the one that, like you mentioned, is made up to be the more homely of the three that does like a massive, massive rip of it. And then like, it just devolves into sexual sexual debauchery from there and again this kind of movie when you that's all they are is is literally these movies are just contrivances to get you to a really funny payoff scene and this movie has it you get rick takes the one girl and he's got all of her clothes off and he's going at you get your first titties in this in this scene and then meanwhile david takes the other girl the blonde girl to the parents bedroom and you know, she's a little bit nervous and she's not 100% sure. And then he immediately goads her into having sex with him by like, oh, your friends aren't having a hard time with it. Come on. So she immediately is like, yeah, okay, I'll do you. But go outside and count to 100 and then come back in and I'll be naked and ready for you and everything. And then meanwhile, you've got Gary, who is left out on the couch. So the other two guys took the quote unquote more attractive or classically more attractive girls, leaving him with... You know, as I, I I think in in a party sense or whatever you would call this, taken one for the team, or whatever. So he's left out there, kind of trying to get with her or fool around with her. She's so he's, not having it. <laughs> well, here's the thing: she's not having it, but then she's also losing clothing in subsequent shots. Never once does the bowl of chips leave her hand. She's eating <laughs> chips the entire time, even though it cuts to a shot where all of a sudden her shirt is off and she's just in a bra with fucking tortilla chips all over her fucking chest and shit because she's just like nervous eating or whatever the case may be. I don't even know. But then, then Loisas, what happens? The parents come home. Of course home. they fucking do, because of course if the party is at Gary's house, of course his parents are going to run in. And then there's literally just, again, comedic payoff after comedic payoff. The one really sexy girl, you know, that, that Rick was with, she comes running out and, and the mother is like fucking like flying into a rage already because Gary's having a heart attack, trying to cut off. He gets a pair of craft scissors. He's trying to cut the bra off of the girl on the couch that he's trying to fool around with. The one girl runs out, Rick runs out. And then the blonde girl runs out. She's also topless now. And like everybody's freaking out. And then all of them run out to the car. 
but David's still unaccounted for. They're like, wait, where's David? And I just died laughing because I was like, oh my God, he's still outside counting. So then it goes to a shot, like the parents come into the bedroom and like the wife lays down and then he's outside and he's stripped down and everything like that. He's in his boxers and he's, he's ready. He, he finishes counting. He goes inside and he gets in bed. And she freaks out. The, fucking attack. the opening of this movie is so good. It's exactly what you expect from a teen sex comedy. It's silly. It's, it's dumb, but it's hilarious. And like, literally it's, it's meant to be set up to just humiliate and, and just make these guys look like really silly and really inept. Like you see in, in so many movies that would carry this torch further down the road. And then my favorite thing about this scene, Loisaz, is all of the people, they get in the car, everybody gets in the car, and then the car drives off. All of the girls are, well, the one girl only has her bra, and the other two girls are topless. And, like, the the two guys, Rick and David, are both, like, in their underwear or, you know, shirts off, whatever. They all get in the car, and then the scene cuts to the next day. We don't even get to see what happens after that. <laughs> like, what, what the fuck? Yeah, the opening of this movie de- definitely sets a precedent for the, or, or, or I guess it sets a bar for the rest of the movie to reach that I don't think it quite does. But I agree. The opening scene, I mean, the humor of the movie is not exactly breaking the comedic mold here, no. but as you said, it does the job it's very well. It's meant to be very um, lowbrow. Right. So um, I just want to touch on, because you mentioned the soundtrack, I mean, uh, indestructible soundtrack uh blondie oingo boingo uh, the cars the commodores the police like i i just the fact that the soundtrack exists to this movie is a miracle um i just don't understand i how did they how all of these songs in one movie how i just don't I, i don't get it i i just don't get like, this is a canon movie. If Justin were here, he'd be throwing budget figures and all this other, these stories about whatever, and maybe he can fill us in on it or something like that when we post it over on social media or whatever. But I don't understand how they got the rights to all of these songs. Unless it or was maybe like, licensing licensing rights didn't cost as much back then. Who knows? It's, I mean, and it's, and it's possible. Like, you think about, like, this is back in 82. So back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Sorry. Don't you have the sound drop for that? I do have a sound drop for that, but I wasn't <laughs> ready, Loy Sauce. God damn. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I'm wondering if maybe it was just the fact that, like, this is the early 80s, so maybe they just, like, the idea of having all these same artists on one compilation was thought of, like, maybe they made some sweet deal. They got some sweet, sweet deal with some record company executive to get all of this stuff, all of these things, all on one compilation i don't know i really don't know but i mean the soundtrack to this movie is great in terms of all of the amazing songs on it but it's so poorly used in this movie <laughs> there's scenes i like, agree there there are scenes wherein like it's meant to evoke an emotional response based on what's happening on screen and then it's it's very very clear that they paid for the song and they intend to use it so the song the scene will <laughs> cut to the next scene and then the song will just keep playing it like it happens one time like uh it's it's, it's journey it's uh open arms is the song 
And like it just like it plays over this 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 thing of Gary and and Karen who my God in heaven do we got to talk about Karen? Uh, but like we get to this whole thing like it's a sad scene between them and Journey's playing and then it cuts to the next day where Gary's going home to see his parents and it's still playing the fucking Journey song. <laughs> like what the fuck? It does like. I, like it, it smacks of it really really smacks of and i'd be willing to bet you there had to be some deal struck wherein they were like okay you can use the song or okay maybe you can even have a reduced licensing fee for the song but you got to use the whole thing in the movie or some shit like that so that's why you hear the songs like two or three times and that's why you hear it's not just brief snippets of a song it's like the whole fucking song like in every scene <laughs> I think if we try to psychoanalyze that, we'll be here all night. I somebody so, let us know. Justin, tell us tell us what it is, Justin. So you mentioned Karen, uh played by Diane Franklin, uh but known for her roles in Better Off Dead, Terror Vision, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But she is the object of affection for Gary throughout the entire movie. He is just in love with this girl. He has an extremely awkward meet cute with her where he um he sabotages her. He deflates uh, the tire of her fucking moped. <laughs> so that he can give her a ride to school. Uh. So he <laughs> What So he, he contrives his own <laughs> He contrives his own uh scenarios here. But uh there's a really awkward scene of them in the car when he's driving her to school and he keeps asking her her, her her name over and over and he keeps misunderstanding what she's saying and I'm like is this supposed to be funny is this supposed to be charming you never get a sense of it, it seems very uh, strained and uncomfortable This week in epic film history. And happy birthday to our young Moy Choss A1 Steak Sauce, that salty Thank motherfucker. Thank you. Do you guys remember when... No, that's okay. You really don't have to. Happy birthday to you. Are you singing the happy birthday, Mr. President? Happy birthday, dear A1 Lois, A Chaucer, A Chaucer, A Salty Motherfuckers. Happy birthday to I see the expression on his face. He's not amused by this. What the hell? He's not. He, he's he's a. How'd she he's not get in here? By this here. Keep her out that, of here. That was just. I don't even you're, know what to. I'm. You're welcome. Thank you. If this is your thank first you. time ever listening to the show, this is as good as it's gonna get. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> I feel like I'm all alone here talking to myself. Hello. Hello. Is anyone out there? Do I have my own podcast now? They like to call me the Hopster. I don't even know what that means, but I enjoy all of you guys listening to me talk. This is great. I tell you, this is great. 
I'm putting the rating on it first. I'm going to go 9 out of 10 on this. I, oh, God damn We're going to give the same rating on two movies? Man, we're going to have to. the same fucking show? We're going to have to. But I, I mean, utterly and completely yeah. adored this movie. Uh, it was every single bit of, of the amazing film that I wanted it to be. And just it was the perfect. And I, and I mean this sincerely, especially if you're an Elton John fan like I am. It was the most sincere, wonderful tribute to this man and to his amazing career and to the legacy that he has and will continue to have in music. It was amazing. Please, please, please go see this goddamn movie. Do not forget about this. Go see it in the theater. You will have a wonderful time, I promise you. Nine out of ten, baby. Loisaus nails it 100% perfectly. From executive producer John Carpenter, that Halloween theme kicks in and, like, legitimately, if your dick doesn't just shoot out of your jeans and start spurting everywhere, (laughs) like, that's just... That's not even just horror <laughs> movies or anything like that. That's just how trailers should be done. Hereditary is is the best film of the year, and I give it a 10 out of 10. Oh, my God. <laughs> Though I'm not a bit surprised. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, we both were really anticipating this hardcore. The way this movie is made, it feels like it could have been a movie that happened in the 70s. Do you know what I mean by that? Does that make sense at all? Definitely. Okay. It fucked me up. I have not sat awake until all the wee hours of the morning thinking about a movie and I can't even tell you how long to the point where I was actually frightened to get up to go to the bathroom because it hits you where it needs to. Hereditary for me, 10 out of 10. It's a near perfect to the point where I'm giving it a 10 out of 10 horror film. Well, see, here's here's the problem with this movie, Loy Sauce, and there's a reason why I had so much fun with some parts of it, but I really, really disliked other parts of it. It's because once this movie tries to actually plot, once this movie actually tries to tell some semblance of a story, which we got to talk about, because there are, I, I mentioned this to you, I think it was in between segments or before we recorded, whatever. I feel like this movie was a lot longer, and I feel like maybe, here's what happened. Somebody tripped when they were carrying the script to the stage. And a whole bunch of pages got blown away in the wind and there was no other copy of it. So wholesale, there's just all this different stuff missing in this movie because there are inexplicable time jumps that are never explained. There are inexplicable shifts where all of a sudden, like this character is with this character or this character is doing this with this character and it doesn't make any sense. There's no lead up to it. It's just like stuff is just chucked at you wholesale and you're supposed to care about this like thing that gary has for karen but like you're never even shown like this like like any of those kind of fun cute scenes like i feel like better performers especially gary sorry lawrence but i feel like better acting may have maybe conveyed it just a little bit better but whenever See, this I, movie... I think lawrence monison is like the heart of the movie i think he does a really good job here but i mean, I mean that, compared, that, it is what it is okay I, compared to everybody around him like rick and david like yeah he's like fucking night and day compared to those guys but i mean can we i'm, I'm gonna be the justin now i'm gonna dial it in ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna be the justin loy sauce and i'm gonna be extremely superficial what in the blue fuck is up with karen's eyebrows Jesus tap dancing Christ. They look like they're eating her fucking head. There are scenes in this movie where she's got these big curly poofy bangs hanging over her head. And it looks like her eyebrows have actually captured her bangs and they're merging together into this hair monster that's coming out of the front of her fucking head. 
I don't, every time she was on screen, I could not stop looking at just right there. And that is your superficial Justin moment for the epic film guys this week. Cause I guarantee it. Diane Franklin guaranteed. He would have mentioned lovely it. woman. She's a very lovely, I'm very, sure. very lovely girl in the movie, but holy sweet mother of God, those eyebrows. They're like uh, fuzzy, fuzzy caterpillars on her forehead. They, they are. They are. They're like Eugene Levy eyebrows. Only she doesn't look I, like Eugene Levy. <laughs> I, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who noticed. I, I do think she's she's lovely, but she's you very are, you attractive. Are right. But like, but I, I think, just was so thrown every time I saw the. I don't know why. I don't know why. I was just like, what is going on? Ugh. I think this movie, um, for all its faults, effectively captures the soul-destroying pain of having an unrequited crush. Um, because I, too, have watched a crush of mine dance with someone else while I chugged Jack Daniel straight from the bottle. Really? Yes. So I felt very connected wow. with Gary in that moment at the party. Um, so, I mean... He's Gary is very tortured by yes. by this girl, and um, we'll we'll get to a little bit later on um, the love triangle, kind of, sort of that this movie, weird, um, which is 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 just weird. It seems here's the problem with it is it seems really forced in the movie, and then they like again when this movie has to plot, when this movie has to story, is when it runs into problems. But then you, when you have Rick and Gary, who are both into Karen, and like apparently Karen and Rick are dating, even though we watch Rick in the first scene, and you know the opening of the movie is is trying to bang the one girl, uh, you know. But like, I mean, well, Gary contin or excuse me, Rick continues to try to get laid even though he's supposed supposedly dating Karen. Very, very, so. very true. So but but then there are scenes in this movie. There are other scenes in this movie, which there is a couple that we really need to talk about. But like <laughs> there are other scenes in this movie where it's it's almost as if like they're disconnected from the plot or whatever's going on plot wise in the movie entirely because they're completely ancillary to it. They're the entire point of a movie like this. Do not get me wrong. Um like when they're all trying to fuck a hooker like that's just par for the course for a, a teen sex romp. Like of course they would all pay to have sex with a hooker and of course she would be berating them literally the entire time, which I, she's extremely nagging and pushy she really, and she has really a is. very tight she has a very tight schedule yeah. like, <laughs> rushing them along like i haven't got all night <laughs> the funny thing about it is too is it's like i mean i get that they're meant to be awkward teenagers to some degree and whatnot but listen there are th like they pay well and even to, to touch on the hooker scene like they pay for it like they pay for the sex and then they're like awkward about doing it like you are teen boys you want to have sex more than anything ever do you know how i know this because i was a teen boy and i wanted to do nothing but have sex all the time i am sure gentlemen out there listening that you can echo this sentiment so if you now i've never i've never paid for a hooker loy sauce i'm not justin i mean we're just assuming he did and he's not here to defend himself but you know <laughs> like like seriously like you've paid for a hooker you've you she granted she's 
incessantly nagging at you and being like, she's on the clock. So she's like, get in there and pump it out really quick. Come on, come on, come on. Like, I love how nonchalantly she just sits down on the couch and just pulls her pants, her underpants down and is just like, come on, let's go like get to work. Like here, it's sir. There's a George Carlin bit where he talks about businessmen fucking America. And he's like, service the account. It's almost like I could hear her sitting there pointing at her crotch being like, service the account. Um, but like, you've paid for sex. You like you've got it in front of you. You're going to get it, and you just stand there. <laughs> you just stand there, like you don't know if you want to do it anymore. Like yes, you do. You are a teenage boy. <laughs> like, it would be one it. thing if we got the sense that Gary was starting to have second thoughts because he wanted to save his virginity for Karen, but you never get that. No, sense. never even, never even remotely. No, it's always just like if he was having just like it's like the director was just like more awkward more awkward well because like the movie is kind of built upon a series of comic set pieces wherein the trio attempt to get laid and rick and david have success but it never really happens for gary so i was thinking there would be some kind of payoff to that or maybe you know we get a sense of his internal struggle of because he's like thinking about karen or maybe there's a plot line that they could have developed where he wanted to save his virginity well, for Karen, so he was having second thoughts. To, to actually segue right off of what you're saying, they could have done it perfectly because all they had to have him do in that moment was just not fuck the hooker. All they could have had him do is be like, no, I, I can't do this. No, I can't do this, whatever. But again, that's what I, what I say. When this movie tries to plot, when it tries to story, it runs into problems because in all these vignettes, in all these little moments, when the three guys are basically just getting laid, Basically, it's just randomly every 20 minutes in the movie, it just stops to have a little piece where the three guys are getting laid. Have a little piece. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. But you know, it's just like there's no hint of the, the tension of the love triangle between Gary, Rick and Karen in those. There's scenes. a disconnect. Like, there's a complete and total disconnect. And I mean, we've talked about this in other canon movies before where it feels like sometimes you're watching two movies that got smashed together. This kind of feels like one of those things. And it's almost almost as if when they shot this, they shot all of those little sex romp vignette scenes first before they wrote the rest of the script. Like they had a bunch of cool ideas for like funny setups, like funny gags of, of like these guys trying to get laid and they whatever comedic bit where they fuck it up or whatever the case may be. And then they decided to write a story like to try to plug those into I but swear see, that's Nick, what it feels like. That wasn't the case because this was based on another movie from the same writer director. Yeah. Maybe so, was that I've never seen obviously that movie. So maybe was that movie like that and he just was like, "Nah, it's good enough. Fuck it." Well, see, Lemon Popsicle actually from from what I understand uh, got somewhat good reviews from critics. Um so and was pretty well received. So maybe something was lost in translation, maybe an Israeli film, like maybe there's a middle Eastern sensibility that just doesn't translate when you update the setting and you move it to an American audience, maybe lemon popsicle. Again, I've never seen it is a little bit more thoughtful and, and maybe it just comes across better. I have no idea. I'd be really, really curious to watch it because like, well, you get like, we talked about the scene with the hooker, but then there's the, the, (laughs) the wonderful, Carmela, wonderful scene with carmela carmela who 
I, ladies and gentlemen, there are porn. There's an entire like porn subgenre of the pizza delivery guy showing up at the house and being seduced by the horny housewife. As soon as he shows up at the house and she opens the door in like this fucking nighty and everything, I literally just started dying. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh. That's your setup. And unfortunately, unlike the first. Uh, unlike the first scene, there's not really a payoff. Come they here, go. My they. I mean, they're kind of. <laughs> they're kind of is they they. So I guess Gary is too nervous to go over there again himself. So he invites Rick and David over um, under the guise of them having like extra pizzas that they don't know what to do with. So it's like we have extra pizzas. I am for some mystified reason mystified by. Yeah, so she gets them into the apartment. I'm sure she would have invited them in. I'm sure she would have invited yeah. them in either way, even if they didn't have two extra pizzas for her. It's just it's 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 hilarious because he he leaves, he brings his friends back, and then it leads to this weird, somewhat sensual, but also somewhat really awkward, really awkward, sexy dance in front of them. Where, I mean, again, I will go back to the hooker scene. Guys, you are teenagers and an attractive woman, and she's like in her <laughs> 46 or 47 when this movie was made. Girl can still get it. She looked damn good. Luisa Mortiz, who passed away last year. Rest in peace. But, you Rest know, in peace. like just there is an attractive woman in a nighty in front of dancing you. Dancing up on you. Dancing yeah. up on you. She is clearly DTF. You... You are like a six. What are these guys meant to be? 16, 17, whatever. They're still in high school. Do something. They, every teenage boy legitimately, well, number one would probably have just come in his pants unless you're Rick and you're cool enough to not just come in your (laughs) pants. But, you know, like, and then, and then you're going to town. Like you're, you're done. You're like the way that they, like this scene, it's funny. And the payoff is fucking hilarious because it features some of the worst on-screen sex, this side of Tommy Wiseau in the room, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But like it, the scene drags on. Is that of- meant to be the, is, is that meant to be the joke? Well, that the fact that like, it's obvious that it's just like the most, um, I don't know like stiff missionary like <laughs> it's, it's it's not even it's not even that because it's like it, it's shot so poorly that there are scenes in which you can see louisa moritz's vagina like you can see her vagina and the dude because she has sex with both rick and david in this scene um which again dear god but they're like they're like it think of tommy Wiseau in the room where he's very very clearly humping lisa's like leg or or belly button or whatever like there he's like i i said at one point when i'm watching this movie i'm like he's fucking her knee like he's just straight up fucking her knee like that's what it looks like they're like they're so far away from where her actual crotch is like if you're watching sex this is the weirdest fucking review we've ever done if you're watching sex in a movie like and it's like simulated sex well then you're just gonna see like a dude's ass like thrusting into like a pair of female legs coming out the other side but you can clearly see like her vagina and like her other leg and everything because the dude is practically like a dog humping a leg pretty much and it gets even more comical like rick is in there and rick does this thing and rick's like whatever and the other two are watching through the keyhole of the door whatever and then david goes in there and sweet merciful fuck i about cried laughing because it takes him a minute 
to get in there and she finally has him disrobe and then it cuts to this shot of David just massive gloriously huge David humping her like a fucking machine <laughs> that's the thing too so maybe it's too. just he's like literally fucking like pale white like a sheet Maybe it's just me, and I don't. I don't know what others' experiences were like, but oh, did this ever happen to you? To, well, I mean, I guess things were different back then. But in a lot of these movies, I, I see um, like a group of friends will get together and pair with other girls, women, and they'll start like making out with each other, um, or or they're starting to like take off each other's clothes or whatever while their friends are in the same room like they don't (laughs) to me that's always just been so awkward in movies like this where it's like would you have sex with someone with your friend standing right there or or like your friend being in the same room or watching you with this it's like when they're watching uh each other have sex with carmela through the keyhole do they enjoy watching their friend have sex to me that's just so awkward and uncomfortable it's I mean, again, but this is the bread and butter of of this kind of a movie. the 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 real The real problem, and and what the, what a film like this really needs is it needs an American Pie, or it needs, uh, you know, or even like a like a like a Porky's, or or like a Revenge of the Nerds, where the plot, where the through line. I mean, Grant, okay, fine, you're showing up for a whole lot of titties and some bush tops too. No rope, you don't get to see any rope. You get to see weird whatever the fuck those things were in the locker room, but. You know, you're showing up for that and you're showing up for really hilarious, like think American Pie 2 when Jim super glues his hand to his dick. Like it's just meant to be outlandishly stupid and funny. All you have to have is a plot that's good enough to string that together. And I think that's, again, it, that's where this film really, really falters. You get, and, and can we talk for a moment about my girl Rose, who is so, 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 so much hotter than Karen, Gary. Just, <laughs> And she is like every second I mean, understood. Rose is on screen every second. She is like three seconds away from yanking Gary's shorts down and blowing him right there. She is fucking hot for Gary. Something fierce, literally to where she's almost having an orgasm every time she's looking at him on screen. It's the most crazy kind of out there, like performance ever well that's kimmy robertson who went on to be uh in twin peaks as the uh the sheriff station secretary so that's how i know her but um she is like sexy in this movie um yeah and gary's like I, I gary wants nothing to do with her he's like he only Bleh. has eyes for Karen. Bleh. Bleh. <sighs> uh is it time to talk about climax of this movie that that i see what you did there yeah uh-huh. waka waka oh I, um, I don't even have the laugh track in front of me anymore i'm just gonna <laughs> fucking god I, i'm ceding control of the soundboard away to someone else i can't do it well i i think um there are a couple things i want to mention before before that i love the scene where after they have sex with the hooker they discover that they have crabs <laughs> crabs and they're they're just like itchy and miserable dur- during school they can't concentrate because they're 
their crotches are on fire. So they go to the pharmacy to ask for medicine for For lice and ticks and lice, which again, doesn't make any sense in any conceivable universe that I know of. Um, When they finally admit to the pharmacist they have crabs, he just starts fucking laughing at him. And that's also one of the greatest scenes in this movie. But he's like, you got crabs. That's what they call them in my day. You young people. So ridiculous. There's also the scene where they trick Victor. That's the nerd character, Victor, right? They trick him into letting them borrow his car. (laughs) And then they go to like make out point or whatever the the spot where young couples go to make out and then they drive their car into drive the car into the ocean (laughs) and then it cuts back to victor still in the parking lot waiting for them because like yeah we'll come back for you and they just never come back for him so he's just sitting in the parking lot and i wonder how that was resolved because we never see it it just cuts to the next thing the movie's wanting to focus on a lot of the problem with this movie is it just wholesale skips a lot of character resolutions that wholesale skips a lot of character development setup and things like that to where it almost cuts to something in the middle of it having happened or you just never see a resolution for it like you said because you never see how they get their car out out of the water and it would have been funny to see victor's reaction if they brought back do you want to know why do you want to know why loy sauce because it had been a few minutes in this movie since we had seen a titty and they had to quickly get us on to the next titty. We can't be wasting time with subplots about Victor and his car. You're right. I guess. <laughs> Fuck me for thinking that. I mean, damn it, how, how foolish of me for thinking you. that there could be payoffs for comedic scenes. No, um, no but um, I also love the fact that there there is kind of like a like a growing rift between the 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 three characters because um Rick gets super involved with Karen um and he is wanting to uh find a place for him and Karen to make it together to you know have sex he and means so he's kind fuck. of sorry so he's kind of like he's trying to convince Gary to let him use his folks house again. He's trying to ask David to see if his, like his parents vacation house um, can be used. And in response to this, David says, we can't use, or I can't let you go to my parents vacation house because last time big Al smoked weed with us and he ate my mom's parakeet. (laughs) And that's completely glazed over. Never mentioned ever again. I want to see that movie. Oh my god to heaven. Who thought of that line? I don't care. <laughs> I I I oh it's a tale Glorious. of two movies. It really, really is a tale of two movies. Like the comedic stuff slaps hard. It hits hard. It's good. It's really, really funny. Like I like some of it obviously is dated because you're talking about a movie that came out in eighty two, you know. It it's definitely dated, but it's good it's funny as hell but then when it when it stops trying to be funny and starts trying to be dramatic and get into like the actual character scenes and whatnot that's when and when i say earlier loisos that the acting in this film is just horrible across the board these are the scenes that really really showcase it especially the scene in the library like the big fight in the library after after listen rick of course gets to you know lay some pipe with karen and her eyebrows 
on the outdoor bleachers, which yeah. I feel like is the most uncomfortable place to have sex. You couldn't have found another spot. And it's no, like out there in the open. He was DTF, like, Sauce. He was just free of crabs from the hooker, and he was DTF, okay? So, uh, okay. Gary, meanwhile, Rick and Karen have been dating this whole time, even though you've seen Rick fuck like four other people throughout the duration of this movie. Like, he's literally everything that moves. But... Like Gary, who never had a problem with any of the other things that Rick has done up to this point, gets really upset when he realizes that they're off getting it on. And then, well, I, I mean, I would be too. I, that's why I feel like I am a little bit more sympathetic to G- uh, Gary's character in these scenes. I feel like, and we'll get to this, but I'd be I feel sympathetic like to him if 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 he didn't have Rose like legitimately thirsting after. <laughs> But like earlier on in the movie, he exhibits pretty like stalkerish behavior oh, yeah. towards Karen. Um, just like really creepy, lingering looks. Again, he contri- contrives these situations where he s- sabotages her. He ruins her bike in order to try to get her into his car. Um, so you wonder if the movie is like punishing him for that that behavior. Um, But I do feel sympathetic because I know what it's like to have a crush on someone. um, And they're dating someone that you're friends with. There's a tension. There's a constant state of frustration and jealousy that you feel, and you can't do anything about it. Um, But then there's the scene in the library where uh, Karen reveals that she's pregnant and she tells this to Rick um, he completely blows her off. He, in, in a way that we have not seen Rick be before, he is malicious towards her. Yeah. Very, very uh, cold-hearted and just like, I guess you couldn't say out of character because Rick doesn't have much of a character. Yeah, there's no character with. for him up to this point in the film. So, <laughs> Other than he's horny. Um, and, oh, yeah, and well, he's yeah. kind of like the, the smooth operator. Definitely but, horny. <laughs> but... Um, She's obviously distraught because he wants nothing to do with her at that point. So then Gary kind of comes to the rescue. He kind of takes her under his wing. He like professes, you know, this is later on, but he kind of professes his love for her, his devotion. Um, He takes her to get an abortion, which again, in 1982, the fact that they even touch upon this is um, that's surprising. Weighty subject material for a film in this day and age. Yeah, I gotta say. And for this genre, too. I mean, yeah. again, Fast Times at Ridgemont High also had an abortion subplot. But um, this is like very uh, t- treated very seriously. Uh, except there's some weird stuff, too. Gary shows up to the abortion clinic at her bedside with a bag of oranges. <laughs> and a Christmas tree. A Christmas tree and a bag of fucking oranges. What the actual fuck was he doing with a Christmas tree and a bag of fucking oranges? <laughs> I think it's we're meant to assume that it's Christmas time. The scene where he uh, takes her back to and the, he's to the worried house. she might get scurvy. <laughs> I have no idea, but, but I, I think I think at that point we're supposed to uh, assume that it's Christmas time because we see a, a lit up Christmas tree. At in this the next point, scene, at this point, but, I'm just laughing like hysterically at it but then yeah so he steals a bunch of like he steals like his parents stereo and hawks it. 
Uh, he steals like a whole bunch of money from his parents and, and all this different stuff. And he has to borrow money from his boss, the pizza shop guy that you only saw one other time in the entire movie, way back at the very beginning of it. I almost forgot that guy even existed until he showed up there. But he has to get all this money to get the abortion. And then meanwhile, she's already had the abortion anyway. But then he shows up with the money to the clinic because they're like, we won't do it until you pay us cash. And then they do it anyway. And then he pays. I don't know if that was just a piss poor because they decided to intercut the scenes of her getting like strapped into the stirrups, like in everything at the, and a, at the abortion and stripping naked. That's a very inappropriate time for like nudity. Yeah, I don't understand I think. why we need to see like some 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 bush top and some titties and everything in this sequence. Like. No, it's not titillating. No, yeah. it's 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 really, really not. I mean, I, I get it if you wanted it to like be in like an uncomfortable way and like it was shot like where she was clearly awkward, but you can't even see her face during these shots. It's literally just like, here's her crotch and here's the top of her bush. Here's her tits. Like, you know, it, it doesn't even like try to show it in like a, a like where she's really distraught and ashamed and everything like it really, really could have dialed into those emotions. But this film is not concerned with them whatsoever. But anyway. He pays for her abortion. He takes her back to like, it's a, it's, I'm pretty sure it's David's parents ski cabin or whatever the case may be, or whatever it is. I don't know. There's supposed to be the rest of the classes, like on a ski trip or whatever the, who the hell knows. But that was a very weird setup too. I wasn't clear on that whole thing. You know why? Because again, the, this film, I swear it's just wholesale missing huge chunks of stuff that explains other stuff. And so uh, you just get these scenes where it cuts to this shot of all of a sudden a whole bunch of people are getting into a van to go on a ski trip and it's like bright and sunny out and there's no fucking snow anywhere. It's like, where are you going? Like you're driving in a van, what to Colorado to go fucking ski? <laughs> like, what the Maybe we don't know. Seriously. I'm, I'm mystified by these scenes, but anyway, this is where the movie well on one hand I've I've been I've been there I feel like most of us men have been there but we get to this part of the movie where he pays for her abortion loisos and Gary friend zones himself harder than any man has ever friend zoned himself ever before ever <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, the third act it's abruptly, Hardcore abruptly, cringe. abruptly shifts into like this tragic melodrama where like the characters are no longer caricatures and it, it just like the tonal shift of it is very jarring. Super jarring. Um, but, but Gary, um, you know, he professes his love for her. They kiss. So he feels encouraged i guess he feels like um encouraged enough to call her his uh his girlfriend in a scene later and, and get a a a gold chain with an engraved like karen with love like to karen with love yeah. or whatever engraved on it he says karen with a k which i don't know what else like how else he would spell karen but with a j with a k karen with a k specifically but anyway um so he goes to the her party, birthday party yep. her birthday party. She invites him to her birthday party. He shows up there and he walks into the kitchen. And what does he find? She's sucking face with Rick again. So the movie, that's where the movie ends. It ends with Legitimately. him dejected, brokenhearted. He gets into his car like he's clearly distraught, tears streaming down his face. 
uh, and he just looks so dejected. Credits roll. I legitimately, I I had that reaction where I legitimately was staring at the screen and I'm like, wait, what? This is how the, like, legitimately, this is how the movie ends. No resolution for any of these quote-unquote plot arcs in, in, in the movie. Like, we don't, like, Karen is a character, like, you don't really get endeared to her anyway, but now it's like, she friend zones Gary, you know, she gives him a, she gives him a, a, a nice little kiss, but then immediately just a kind of friendly hug. As soon as she gave him that hug after the kiss, I was like, oh man. And then calls him, you've been a really good friend. I was like, friend, Ooh, she yeah. said it. Oh God. It was so fucking cringe. It's like, but then like legitimately, like you don't see Rose for like the last half an hour of the movie, except for like in a background shot. David also, after the hooker scene, really just kind of becomes, oh, he does have a funny bit where he's getting into the ski van and drops the boot, whatever. Like, it it just, like, there's there's so much more, like, what, like, there's no, like, even potential, for, like, why all of a sudden did this film decide in the third act that it was going to start trying to do character development and then abruptly end the movie before it even finishes it? <laughs> This week in epic film history. This is officially it for me. I am officially off the sauce until my birthday, which is July 27th. Uh, just because I'm trying to accelerate. Like, I quit vaping. I quit Oh, that's caffeine, great, dude. I quit, like, a lot of other different things. And now Whoa. next up is uh, booze. Booze is out the window, too, because I'm really trying to accelerate my weight loss. I'm really trying to push myself to the next level of my workout routine. And I feel like this has got to be the next thing to go just because a the calories that it adds into the diet b it's a depressant it just gets in there and fatigues you it adds a little bit of fatigue you know so yep out the window for a month and a half or so after this uh, after this night's recording so hey you know i was thinking i'd like to drink with randy quaid isn't that that one guy he plays Eddie from the National Lampoons? <laughs> I like him. He seems like the kind of guy I could get used to hanging out with. You know, he's got... Hey, you look back to the original. Isn't that movie National Lampoon something? Come on. Hey, he's got a daughter and uh, he's got a son who likes to look at porno. And this guy is so dumb, he doesn't even know the difference of what's going on. Hey, I'd like to have a good couple of drinks with him, and I'm sure he'd enjoy a nice case of PBR. Maybe even worse than that, maybe even some Keystone Light. That's even cheaper than PBR if you go to a shittier bar. I want to watch Jaws tonight. I need to watch Jaws. Well, I think if you're going to watch Jaws, you should actually have some of that Narragansett ale. You know what's funny? I'm looking over over to the left here, and I'm seeing that this guy that I might possibly live with, the guy you like to talk to quite a bit, has a can of retro Narragansett beer on his shelf. I'm not sure if it's real or not, but it surely looks like it was at some point. So yeah, I'm all about drinking that and watching some Jaws. <laughs> I am back, and we are here with a jam-packed, fun-filled, super amazing, awesome show that is going to absolutely knock your fucking socks off and push them up your ass. 
Nick. How the hell are you? I'm going to stick something in your eye that... Nick, I'm going to stick something in your eye that might hurt even worse than a bug. It's like a big... Well, I don't know how long you'd consider it. I've never measured it. I don't think. But it sticks in an eyeball and it squirts something in there. It'll make it even worse, more sticky, and you won't be able to see anything for like a week. You're supposed to stick the bottle in your eye. You're just supposed to put it outside and squish it. You like squishing other things like <laughs> a very rubbery and soft pee to make it nice and hard. It's like it's squirt in your eye. Why is it rubbery? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe sometimes like if you get it beat it so hard and like rub it so much that it kind of feels like. You know, like a dog toy, like a rubber piece of, I don't know, like a rubber like a wiener. A, hot, a rubber hot dog. Well, I think, uh, and I could, be, I could be way off base. I'm wondering if that's the point. I'm wondering if the movie is some kind of commentary on, like, male entitlement. Because there is a mentality that men have where they feel that they have to be awarded sex for being virtuous, for being, um, you know, I, I did this for you and I will now get this in return. Um, so that's why I brought up the possibility that, that the entire third act is punishment for Gary's, well, first of all, his stalker behavior and yeah. then that kind of nice guy uh, mentality. I mean, I, I, I do, I am, I do feel that oftentimes women gravitate towards men who damage them in some way or treat them badly. I mean, you see, you see it all the time in relationships. Women will return to relationships where they have been abused or they feel um, undervalued. It's not just a woman thing either, but men will no. men will do that as well, where they'll constantly go back like a like a like a whipped dog for lack of a better lack of a better lack of a better. i've never you know what i didn't i didn't read it that way so i'm interested to hear i'm interested to hear you that you took it in that direction well certainly i mean i i, I do think that um that's characteristic but i also feel that men should not feel entitled to like women don't owe them anything correct if karen wasn't attracted to gary and didn't want if she wasn't interested in him in that way, um, then the then sh- the way these movies so often go is that the the uh, object of affection or the object of desire for the main character is like the trophy for them at the end. Yeah, it's like the for being for virtuous and rendered. being yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering if this movie was a, a somewhat subversive annihilation of that. Uh, ideology um i I don't but i can't say for sure because it is so early in the genre because it was 82 and these movies so it's not the 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 glut of these movies were like mid 80s then i don't think it had the foresight of of subverting genre conventions that weren't even necessarily uh, established yet, yeah established yet exactly so it's so fascinating to me did they just run out of budget and just didn't complete the film as the, they intended. But I don't know for sure because I don't. I haven't seen the original. Does the original also end this way? But it's such an anticlimax because you expect a certain kind of ending from this movie. Either way, either way, whether Gary is being punished or if he's completely contrite and and Karen's a bitch and his life is ruined, either way, it's a crushing blow. 
Yeah. It's a crushing blow for Gary. It's a crushing blow for the audience because we've just sat through what we thought was a boner comedy. And it ends up being something much darker and much more, not poignant, but... um, Relatable, maybe? uh, More challenging, I guess, than what we were led to believe it would be. Be. <laughs> I think the problem, it, it, you know, and, and I know I've drilled it home a lot as we as we wrap up the review on this, but it's it, I feel like in the first two acts of this film that the film's not remotely interested in developing any of these characters. So to suddenly it's it, you called the, 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 the tonal shift into the third act of this film very, very jarring. And it is because all of a sudden it starts to decide to give these characters actual character traits. Like they're not just horny teen boy one, two, and three. Like it's it's actually like trying to do something character-wise, but why didn't it start doing that way earlier in the film? Why didn't we start getting those things way, way earlier in the film? You know, it really, really could have developed all of these ideas way, way earlier in the film. And then you know, we, we, we see, and you know, we'll talk, you know, what we've talked about it throughout the review, I should say, with these kind of comedies, and, and you're talking about, it can't subvert tropes in a genre that it's basically helping to define, you know, but you'll see other films in this genre do this kind of thing a lot, a lot better where you'll see character arcs carry over the course of an entire film and then intersperse these just random sexual vignettes where the characters are getting laid and doing whatever else in between all those things. You know, it just like, I, I don't know why the first two thirds of this movie, the first two thirds of this movie, while it contains some amazingly hilarious, just sex raunch comedy stuff, the, the first two thirds of this movie is pointless to anything plot or character wise, because none of it means anything. You get introduced to the characters, you become familiar with them, but they don't mean anything to you until it's too late in the movie for me. Yeah, I mean... I'm going to I'm going to make an example. When I was in high school, I was involved in a theater class where we had an assignment to write a play. Uh, it was like a playwriting course. So I wrote a play. I think I called it something like what to expect or what you expect or something like that, which throughout the duration of the play very strictly followed the formula of a normal romantic comedy until suddenly in the last third of it the last act of it um everything went to shit for the characters and it ended really tragically and it was very overwrought with with emotion and despair and it was um an attempt i guess i thought i was being really edgy and clever by throwing the audience a curveball flipping the script on them subverting their expectations it was an it was an exercise that i thought was like super original and cool so i wonder if that's what um, the intention when Boaz Davidson was writing the script, did he think that it would be a real gut punch for the audience? And I've read reviews actually where the ending like makes the movie for people because it is so somber because it is so it feels like real. I mean, again, I, I'm giving kudos. I know you don't agree, but Lawrence Monison in that final scene when he's driving and he has the tears he's streaming good. down his face. He's good. Yeah. You feel very the pain. You see good that performance. Pain in the character's eyes. Yeah. I just, I think if if you really want that gut punch to land, I think you have to sow those seeds, even, even if it's, even if it's lightly, even if there's a little bit, you've got to sow those seeds earlier on. But the problem is, is this movie is more concerned with just sexual, you know, romps 10, you get a 10 minute long scene basically with Carmela, 
you know, where these guys are all just taking turns banging her until Paco comes home. And we neglected know. to mention, I, I I said that there wasn't a payoff to that scene, but I was wrong because her sailor husband yeah. comes home. Her sailor comes and, like, home. chases them out of the house. That's, that's, yeah, exactly. again, is, is hilarious. But like it's 10 minutes of that. And then it's one minute of just kind of plot not even really plot beats because nothing happens necessarily with any of the plot stuff until like i said all of a sudden you get to this really weighty stuff and that i just think it's too little too late and i really wish that the film like given especially with your analysis of it i really really like that you took it in that direction and i really i want this film almost to be a deconstruction of that and i want this film almost to be a no just because you do anything for a woman does not mean you deserve a fucking thing you definitely don't like you you are not owed sex as payment for services rendered because you did X, Y, Z for a woman. That's not how the world works, but the film needed to establish and it needed to sow those seeds and it needed to start paying those lessons off much earlier in the film to me. If you know, I mean, it, you it's, also need, go ahead. you also need a character change. If, if yeah. Gary was to learn this lesson, we needed to see how he, uh, either does things differently with with a uh, with another girl or you know we we needed to see some character growth instead it's just literally um it it is shocking when the credits roll because it, we we see a character utterly devastated utterly broken and there's no hope for him yeah so um at least in 500 days of summer which is a completely different kind of movie but you have that kind of that brief glimmer of hope in the end or you know in, in wet hot american summer it does a very similar anticlimax of an ending where the entire movie um coop is trying to get with uh with, with with the girl the object of his affections and she just straight up like at the end he says like look i did all this for you and she's like nope not interested and it's funny when that happens because again it has that kind of tone all the way through and it's setting up um, well even to take your, the to take your example a step further with, with 500 days of summer which is a movie i absolutely adore to take it one step further even if you didn't get that brief tease at the very end of the movie when he meets the girl at the interview and said, what's your name autumn uh and then it resets the calendar and everything and it's a cute moment and it's funny and he gives that kind of wry little smirk you know and, and everything joseph gordon lovett's amazing but but tom learned something he tom learned something anyway so even if that scene doesn't exist he is still grown as a character he still has that scene like that's what this movie's missing there's no growth for the character it's just the gut punch there's nothing else like it's just it's 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 all just the raw emotionality of that moment it's an effective moment it's a great moment but i to, to, if you really wanted that punch to land home then you needed to have more development between these characters you needed to feel the tension between gary and rick throughout the course of this movie like you needed more of that kind of thing like you needed you know like like or karen even, and rick, or like, even when you get the two acts of karen and rick's relationship which is basically just boiled down to like scenes of them making out or scenes of them dancing you don't see any of Maybe Rick not being so virtuous and maybe Rick not being the best fit, but of course he hasn't gotten laid yet. So he's still laying on the, the schmooze real thick and she, and her being oblivious to it. And you as an audience member seeing that and being like, Karen, wake up, Karen, wake up. But you don't ever get any of that because basically David, Rick and Gary are all just three versions of the same character in the first two thirds of the movie where like literally they're all just getting into these sexual pratfalls and everything. And there's just, there's no 
dividing line. So it's like you can't sympathize with get with Gary and want him to be with Karen because in the first two thirds of this movie, how is he any different from Rick? He's not. He's literally no different from him. He's if if Paco hadn't come home, he'd have banged Carmela too. Like it, you know, and, and they all bang the hooker and everything, and he's trying to bang the girl in the opening of the movie. Like they are not any different from characters. So you can't look at Karen and be like, oh Karen, why won't you be with Gary? Like substantively there's no difference. There's none. Right. Right. And to bring up a movie that is kind of a, a modern throwback to these type of movies, but super bad. If you were to look at that movie as an example of the kind of um, the dissolving of a friendship yeah. due to just growing apart and having different interests and girls, you know, um, become becoming interested and involved with girls, that could have been a poignant layer to where you where you see the three friends starting out and then they kind of grow apart or there's a rift between them that um maybe you could have had a reconciliation or maybe not but you could still have that resolution that well, this movie even doesn't have, I mean, give you we, we we talked about it already and you mentioned it a couple of times before where this th- this genre didn't exist like this and fast times at ridgemont high like these kinds of movies were the forebears in this genre like you even you're talking about tropes in a genre that has now existed for so many decades like think about even a movie like book smart which is incredible uses the same exact tropes of this genre flips a lot of them on its head in, in, in a lot of ways because it doesn't have that same kind of sexual raunch to it but it does those same kinds of things where you talk about like in Superbad where you see these three friends you get endeared to all these different characters they're all very different characters and you get endeared to all of them so that when they fight and there's a rift between them and they get pulled apart you as an audience member are like shit I want those characters to be back together I really like them that's what I think and maybe it's just because with it with a more deft pen or whatever or you know even if if, if this is I'll leave it here. I'll leave it here. But if this is the foundation upon which this entire genre was built or one big keystone of on which this genre was built, great. Other great writers and other great filmmakers learned from this. And I mean, granted, there's a lot of trash in this genre, too, especially this genre, for fuck's sake. But, you know, like if they took this and they learned from it and they were able to develop those ideas further into something more. Great. Uh, This film for me. It's just it's it's missing that character connectivity. I don't feel connected to these characters. So by the time the third act comes and all of a sudden these characters actually have personalities and like there's actually supposed to be like emotional stakes. I'm just like, wait, what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's um, it's it's kind of it's bizarre um, because, as I said, um, I I do find it fascinating that one of the first American teen sex comedies is arguably one of the most subversive out of all of them. And I don't know if that was by design or not, but that's what I kind of read into it, where is this an indictment of of a certain kind of behavior? Um, Because comparing this to a lot of other sex comedies that I've seen, um, the whole genre is built upon misogyny like a lot of them are disgusting yeah and actually make you like sick to your stomach to watch because it's sheer exploitation and it's um i mean even revenge of the nerds which you look back on it and it's like that's rape yeah you know the hero of the movie raped someone not even um, debatable 
so you have like the conventions and the trappings of like, here's a group of horny rapscallions who get into all sorts of wacky shenanigans as they try to score. Like it, it to have a movie start out as that and then to have it suddenly shift gears to become a very like somber cautionary tale. Again, don't know if that's the intention, but that's what I read into it. Um, so I have no affinity or nostalgia for this particular subgenre of film. And I don't think that the last American version is wholly successful in, in terms of what it's trying to do, but I find it utterly fascinating. And I think we've talked about the last American version as in depth as anyone ever has. <laughs> I, I would probably agree. I would probably agree, but it's, it does leave a lot of those questions out there on the table though. It, it really, really does. It It's a baffling ending on one hand but it's also kind of mesmerizing it's kind it's of what mesmerizing. makes it worth it's what makes it worth talking about it's true that is very very true and that's something we did talk about ladies and gentlemen for the last more than an hour i think uh you know i really really and guys if you guys aren't um you know checking out these canon films we urge you to, we urge you to do so you know, eat well, maybe not King Solomon's Minds. Please, for the love of God, don't watch King Solomon's Minds. Whatever you do, watch the scene of the shitty. It's not a hippo. It's not. Fuck you, Justin. It's not a hippo. He's not here to defend it's himself. Not. It's a melted pile of fucking paper mache and dirt, whatever it is, but it's not a hippo. It's meant to be a sea monster. It's not a hippo. But um, anyway, you know, check out these canon movies, like, because there is some good stuff in them to deconstruct. I know I'm so new to canon movies you know comparatively but if you're somebody like me who's who hasn't seen a lot of these movies who hasn't walked this kind of line you know granted you know there's if you're just if you're just that kind of uh, instant gratification kind of person you just want to see a lot of titties you're going to get that in this movie too wayne from the countdown i'm looking at you but you know there 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 is something to be unpacked here especially with with the, the angle that loy sauce is coming at it from i would i want to believe that one of the first examples of this genre you know, in America was that progressive on purpose. I don't and know that, that insightful. It was. We don't, we don't see many movies that address uh, that, that are just an utter evisceration of that mindset of that nice guy. Like, why won't you date me? I'm a nice guy. You know, why won't you let, why won't you let me touch your boobies? <laughs> I did something for you. Um, That was, and let me tell you, let let me tell you how fucking angry I would be right now reviewing this movie if we would have gotten the other movie instead. If we would have gotten the movie of, I paid for your abortion, and then now three minutes later, they're fucking. I would have been so mad. I would have been so angry. So this was better than that. So it wasn't as bad as it could have been in that regard. It's got some amazingly funny moments. It's got... It hits all of the right marks, especially if you're a fan of films in this genre. I know myself and Justin are huge fans of these kind of mindless teen sex romps. You know, it, it does hit all of those bases. It really, really does. And then that third act swerve, I mean, your mileage may vary on it. Go into it with an open mind. Your mileage may vary on it. I just wish that they would have planted a lot of those seeds and sown those seeds earlier and really given like th- th- those seeds like dude like could you imagine like if you like were really invested in Gary as a character and really invested in his journey and like if if it was like this just this this tragic flaw of Karen's that she goes back to Rick and you just get that gut punch as an audience and he's sobbing on the way home and the credits rolled and you probably start bawling as an audience member because you're just like fuck I've been there so many times you know like this film just doesn't 
hit enough of those marks for me. Big Al smoked weed with us and he ate my mom's parakeet. <laughs> also that. Man, I should I should have pulled that for this on board. God. You know why? I probably couldn't because there's probably some goddamn 80s power ballad blaring in the background behind it. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, and again, hashtag Canon Quarantine has been a just a, an absolute treat and a treasure. So the next film, of course, in the hashtag Canon Quarantine series will be up to you so head over to the hopesters dumpster again facebook.com slash groups slash epic film guys and check out the poll for the next entry in the canon quarantine series it should be up in there sometime after you hear this episode probably friday or saturday and we'll figure out exactly what comes next we've still got dudikoff we've still got bronson god help us we've got chuck norris (sighs) and there's i'm sure there's other movies with probably somehow more titties in him than this one although i don't think that's possible i can't imagine i can't imagine that either but yeah head over there and vote we also of course we're going to be doing a full retrospective of 1995's absolute masterpiece judge dread <laughs> loy sauce is really excited for that one can't wait he said that through gritted teeth audio audience you probably can you hear that yeah you can definitely tell uh but uh yeah psycho alfred hitchcock psycho turns 60 years old batman begins just celebrated an anniversary today 15 years of batman begins which we were going to cover on the show but we didn't like you know we had forever and we had a lot of other stuff going on and we've got the fallout from live stream for the cure and all that i just don't think there was time for it and it's not something that we haven't talked about extensively on this show anyway in 10 years, when we're still doing this podcast, we can do a retrospective on Batman Begins. Bam. And the action sequences will still fucking suck. <laughs> well, not the action sequences, the fight sequences, the hand-to-hand combat sequence. Actually, no, just the Batman hand-to-hand combat. The one in the prison at the beginning of that movie is great. The scuffle in like the prison yard or whatever. When he's like, Remember, remember like, when the scarecrow is taken out by a taser? yeah hilarious to the, to the to the face <laughs> and he has that weird howl and then he shows up in the other two movies this this weird cameo but anyway uh man of steel which is a masterpiece of the comic book genre go ahead do your sigh do it you know you want to why are we bringing up man of steel because it seven years ago justin and i saw it in imax uh seven years ago like this week seven years ago this week we saw it in you imax know- you know what I did for my birthday that year? Came out on my birthday, June 14th. I got a bunch of my friends together to go see an IMAX 3D. I was so excited. I re- remember when I saw the trailers to Man of Steel, I openly wept. So I was excited. I got all my friends together on my birthday. And we sat down and we watched Man of Steel. And um, yeah. It was a it was a disappointing evening. Happy birthday, ladies and gentlemen, to our very very beautiful God of Podcasting. Oh, happy shots. happy birthday! Um, it's amazing, ladies and gentlemen. If you track back in the history of the Epic Film Guys podcast, he was about twelve years old last year, and now he is thirty seven. Like he is just the. It's Where the does beard. the time go? It's the yeah. <laughs> Where do you remember? Ugh. Do you remember? I think it was four years ago now. 
we recorded our Warcraft review on my birthday. Oh my god. You want to know what's really funny? Listening back to EFG history clips, and when I pull EFG history clips from old episodes, it's listening to, uh, we're going to have special guest Brian Loy on the episode to review the film with us. Of the 10 bucks a throw podcast. Of the 10 bucks a throw podcast. <laughs> he wasn't a member of the Epic Film Guys yet. Loy Sauce wasn't a thing yet. I think it's been a couple of years since... What is is it two or three years since I coined that? I can't remember. It's been I think it's been two years. It's been it's it's been a couple of years for that one. It's just it's it's weird the way that you think about the show and the that's why I love pulling the EFG history stuff. I don't know how much mileage it gets with listeners, but I love it and that's why I do it. Because it's great to listen back to that stuff and to hear things like and we're gonna have special guest Brian Loy on the show to review the film with us. It's like what? Who's that guy? Yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing because now we don't refer to him by name, ladies and gentlemen. We only refer to him by his proper title, the God of Podcasting. Oh! And if you don't, well, now you're going to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You want to know what one of my favorite things about live stream for the cure was? What's that? After live stream for the cure was all said and done, Dan and I were wrapping up, and we were. Dan ordered a uh, ordered a pizza. Thank you, Dan, for the pizza. And he put on because Ashley wouldn't watch it with him. He put on Death Wish Three. If you want to ha- experience pure unbridled joy in your life, watching Dan Brennick watch the scene in which Bronson pulls up a fucking missile launcher and bl- <laughs> blows the creep out the fucking window at the end of the movie, Dan's reaction to that sequence will bring you the most joy you have ever witnessed in your entire life i swear please watch death wish 3 if you have amazon prime also speaking of streaming i know dan and i have been looking into it there is some way where you can stream titles as watch parties on twitch there's some way that you can stream watch parties of prime movies on twitch because twitch and amazon prime have that partnered thing so we're going to figure that out and guys do you have any idea how much of Charles Bronson's catalog is on Prime? A lot of it. A lot of it. Would you guys be interested in tuning in to Twitch streams of Charles motherfucking Bronson movies hosted by the Epic Film Guys? Let us know. Please <laughs> let us know. Loy we Sauce. want to hear from you. Where can they let us know, Loy Sauce? Social media. Where are we at out there? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Epic Film Guys. And you can also join in our fan community, The Hobster's Dumpster, where The Hobster hangs out. And you can uh, join in the conversation. We talk about movies. We we hang out, so feel free to join us. We'd love to have you. So that's facebook.com slash groups slash Epic Film Guys. Join our community. And please make sure if this is your first time listening to the show and you like what you hear please subscribe to this on the podcatcher of your choice we are on apple Podcasts, google spotify stitcher spreaker podbean our absolutely amazing host thank you very much shannon martin of podbean for being absolutely amazing thank you very much to sierra from the cancer research institute for again reaching out to congratulate us on the success of live stream for the cure and uh whenever we get it'll be later this year uh, we'll be appearing in the in the in the newsletter for the Cancer Research Institute, but they are I mean they're obviously thrilled. We raised almost sixteen thousand dollars for cancer research. Of course, they are obviously thrilled. So you know, I absolutely, I could we we could not have picked uh, better you know better better partners to do uh, such an amazing event for every single year. So uh, 
Loy sauce. We don't even know what we're doing next week because we haven't done the poll. We haven't done anything. We have no idea what's coming next, guys. No idea. It'll be an exciting adventure. <laughs> Unless it's the sequel to King Solomon's Minds, in which case we're going to hang ourselves. <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for myself, for our absolutely beautiful, wonderful god of podcasting. <laughs> and, all right. All right, let's get him in here. He said that he sucked the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth. For Justin, we know we miss him. I tried to I tried to channel my inner Justin tonight and talk about titties and Karen's eyebrows as much as I could. Because that's Justin when he, we do these reviews. He is the superficial one. He was the one that will point out all these things. And he'll be like, no, fuck you, Loisos. I'm going to mention it. You know he will do that. That's what he always does. Uh, fuck you, Justin. God damn it, Justin. Daddy's going to spank you with the belt mm-hmm. now. Thank you so much, everybody out there, for listening. Until next time, we will see you at movies. This week in epic film history. If you send me a better Charles Bronson clip than last week's, that fucking clip was terrible. That was so dumb. You gonna eat that sausage? <laughs> so fun. fucking stupid. <laughs> like, I get that a lot of his movies are like B-movie I, type. The problem not, is, like, the problem is there's great lines, but I can't find them on YouTube. I have to go on and rip them myself if I'm gonna do it. Listen, damn it. We're gonna have to start shifting to something else if we can't find better Bronson clips like then you gonna eat that sausage <laughs> Jesus Christ like I figured like it would at least be like Bronson like getting up and like grabbing the guy's tray and then beating him to death with something I was like what the fuck that's, that's all he says he just sits there and he's like if you can have it no one can huh I'm like what the fuck that's the I'm like, point I'm, I'm watching it I'm like Justin scrape with the bottom of the fucking barrel on Bronson Clips with this one what I'm drinking Nick is the lime summer ale that you brewed you created you made with your own two hands and I'm hey, drinking it out of this bottle hey Benny it's your uncle bingo <laughs> time to pay alright so here goes let's taste this you said this thing tasted like toast right? it tastes like, like fucking no, toast I'm not kidding but is it is it toast with jam? Toast with peanut butter? Just plain burnt toast? Just, just, Give me an idea just like, before I say Just like buttered. I, I would say buttered toast. Buttered toast. But not good butter, like country crock or something, like 48% vegetable oil. Wow. Holy shit, dude. It legit. I feel like it tastes like toast with like jelly on it from Denny's or something. <laughs> like a fucking raspberry jam or jelly. 
on some not burnt, not burnt toast, but like but you, but you definitely soggy. get the toast flavor, right? I can smell it too. That's so fucking weird. It, it is, it's isn't a it? A beer that smells and tastes a little. It's for real, dude. It's it's just supposed to be a lime citrusy summer ale, and it tastes like fucking toast. I have no idea where that beer went wrong. Well, um, you know, I don't I don't know any of the stats because you don't either, so I can't tell our listeners like I normally do how many IBUs it has, what percentage it, it is. It tastes like fucking um, toast, Caleb. I am very, very upset with a sad, deep heart that's falling and breaking apart to have to report that we posted on the page yesterday, wait, ladies wait. and gentlemen. What? I'm very sad to report okay. with the falling apart and breaking apart. The like, what achy, the fuck? breaky heart. My achy, breaky heart. <laughs> it is with deep Listen, sadness. you're not allowed to sing unless you act like the hobster. Hobster. It is whatever the fuck deep, you call them. 